1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. You know, when you go through something that is stressful, something that is painful, often it makes you ask some pretty deep questions. And some of those questions get at, like, what are my roots and what is, what is my identity? It may push you to ask things like, who am I? And this season has pushed us as a church to ask some of those kinds of questions because it's definitely been a stressful season. And we begin to ask kind of, a, who are we? We've taken a, a deep dive in looking at who we are. And, and we've really thought through some of these things. Is church, is church like an event that you attend or that you download? Is church like some sort of a club where you have rights and privileges, but you also have responsibility and dues. Is church, like, like who are we? Is church like a, a convenience store where there's kind of a one-stop shop to get whatever you can get at the lowest cost possible? Is that, is that kind of what church is all about? We are defined by God, and so we've been looking week after week after week what he says, who he says we are, and we process everything through the lens of what he has told us. So even as Millie read that description of 1 Thessalonians, I hope you were hearing even in that description, I hope you were hearing uh, an idea, a vision of what church is meant to be, what our life together is meant to be like. So we come across these images, and this is where we've been over the last few weeks, if you have been following along. We said that these word pictures in Scripture, church is a, a flock with a good shepherd. Who are we? We're a flock with a good shepherd. And we also, re- that comes from John 10, and we also realized we are also ambassadors with a message, and that message is reconciliation, that God has reconciled this wor- world. So who are we? We're ambassadors with a message. And And we also looked at last week that we are a family that's called the love. Who are we? We are a family 
who's been called to love. We're sons and daughters of God, and that actually makes us brothers and sisters. And we talked about that last week. There were several references that we pointed to. There are 170 different times where Paul calls the church brothers and sisters. And so we recognize we are family. And last week we looked at the concept of church as family, and our word was caring. Our word was caring. We are meant to care for each other. There's kind of a mutual care as we invest in the lives of each other. And we tried to, I, I tried to lay out some different ways that care expresses itself. And so I'm not going to kind of go through all of that again, but I, I do want to just hit the highlights of, okay, what does it mean if we are brothers and sisters? It means that we have deep affection for each other. It means that's the way we're going to live as family. Because we're family, we have a deep affection for each other. Because we're family, we really want to work things out between us, even when there's some fracture in the relationship. We really at least have the desire to work things out. Because we're family, I can share what I have with you. I don't have to hoard, I can share. And because we're family, I have such loyalty that I will not give up on you. We are, we are in this. We are going to work things throughout. That's the way care demonstrates itself, probably many other ways, but those are the ones we highlighted last week. But even as I talked last week, I had a sense of caution because I think we could so emphasize and so major on what church should be and the family relationships that we should have and the care we should have for each other that we could miss a very important dimension of what God has called us to as it relates to church. We could turn so far inward that we forget a part of God's design for us being family. And I say that because there are many who we might meet who are not yet a part of our family. And I say that because there are many who need a family to be a part of. And so with that in mind, I, I don't want us to forget caring, but I want us to kind of turn an outward face because I do think, I do think, Speaking of family, there is an outward face that God has designed brothers and sisters, his sons and daughters to have. And so I want to focus on that outward face because if we care, then something else and something more and something bigger and something better will be going on as well, not just caring for each other. And so I'm going to use a couple of words today. And one of those words is welcoming and sending. And both of them are going to point to our outward face that we are meant to have as a family, as brothers and sisters. So let's start with our outward face of welcoming, our outward face of welcoming. So people who aren't yet part of the family, when we meet them, when they cross our paths, maybe even when they come into our gatherings, what happens right there? So we have all this care for each other, or we should. What happens when people come into our gatherings? Let's assume we have this loving, caring family and we're doing things right there. Well, People come into that. So then the question is like, well, who can belong? Who can enter into that family? Do we, do we intentionally welcome people in? So it's an outward face looking at who is coming in. So in, in our heads and in our hearts, we know what is no good here. All right. What's no good is when we kind of have what we got going on and no one else can be a part of it. We know something's not right when people kind of get locked out emotionally and relationally. We know it's not good when we might show a few courtesies and we might politely smile or we might talk, you know, at a distance and just a few polite 
courtesies but never really engage deeper. We know something is not good when people can't really be a part of us. Why is that no good? I mean, Robin Donnie even alluded to some of this, but we can even just walk through people that God might send our way. So if we, if we can do that, can we do that like in categories? Think through categories of people that God might be sending our way and what our interactions might look like. So imagine someone relocates to our area. They're brand new. They know the Lord, but they barely know anybody else. And maybe they come here on site, or maybe they move to their addresses near ours or some close proximity to us. Let's say they know the Lord. Will, will there be a chance that they could belong to us as well? Could we be that extended family to them? Is that a possibility? Do you, do we have space for them if they were to relocate to our area? Or imagine someone stops by and maybe, maybe they're even watching online and, and, and they come kind of to our church and they, they come from the area and they love the Lord and maybe they're in a place where they're kind of sorting through considering what God might have for them next when it comes to church, but here they are and how are they going to enter and how are they going to be received? Or imagine with me someone that has just turned to Jesus. And maybe that turn to Jesus was a dramatic turn. Like things were very, very messed up in their lives. And they were living a life kind of all about themselves and only into sin. And now they've turned. How are they going to be welcomed in? There are newly adopted brothers and sisters. God has brought them into our family. How will they be welcomed in? Or maybe... Maybe they don't have this like life of terrible sin, but maybe they have a life of actually being a pretty decent human being, but having no time for God. But now things have changed and they actually realize how desperately they've always needed a Savior. And so they come in. How will they be received? Will they be loved? Will they be welcomed? Will they be able to break in or are they kind of, kind of be on the outside for a long time? Or, or imagine with me a person that had been following Jesus but began to make some tough choices and began to wander away. So they wandered away, but let's say God has arrested their attention, got in their hearts and in their minds, and now they're back. They're back. So are they going to get a, a stiff arm from the church, or are they going to be welcomed and received back? Or, or imagine with me the person that might be exploring. So we sing songs about grace and peace and salvation and mercy and faithfulness. And maybe for a person, like all those are fairly new terms or concepts. I mean, they, they understand the terms, but they're not, they're new to all this. They don't know all the drill and all the lingo and, and all the dynamics there. Do we receive them or do we say, why don't you just get on Google and kind of figure all this stuff out? And then, and then you could be a part of us when you kind of know what's going on here. What's going to be the welcome? So what happens when people cross paths with an Ogletown gathering? Even beyond that, what happens when people cross paths with an Ogletown person, an Ogletown family, a home? I'm not just talking about like what happens when they log onto our website. I'm not, I'm not even just talking about like what happens when they show up on the property in the square footage here. I'm not just talking about like, well, like by church, we mean staff. So what's the staff going to do? I mean all of us. Like how will they be welcomed? 
So if you can hold all of those thoughts for just a moment, can I share a little bit, just kind of a, a personal history with some of these things? And really, it's far beyond personal history. It's a family history. So you're going to have to back up about 40 years, all right? So we're probably 1976, 1977. My mom and dad got married, blended family, so they each had three kids that come together. I, uh, so I many half-brothers and half-sisters. My, my sister at that point in time would have been um, mentally handicapped, physical challenges, a toddler. I, I had just been born... And nobody in the family knows the Lord. Nobody has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But God worked a miracle. And every time it happens, it's a miracle. As one by one, each member of my family, my mom, my dad, my sisters, were called into faith in Jesus Christ. They were brought into a church. And it happened because there was a church that, that saw my family as someone that could be potential brothers and sisters in Christ and continue to pursue them and pursue them in love. And finally, the day happened when they put their faith in Jesus Christ and they came into a church. And immediately after that, they were welcomed. They had brothers and sisters that welcomed them into this church in Oklahoma and and brought them into their family and, and began to walk with them and teach them and help them understand the ways of Jesus Christ. And everything transformed and everything became radically new in my family's life the names of those people that welcomed my family in. You see, some were pastors, but most actually were not. And when those names come up at a Christmas or a Thanksgiving, and we hear those names, they're almost like sacred names to us because they were some of the first 40 years ago to welcome a family in, to say, you are brothers and sisters and you are welcome here. There is room at this table for you. I I think, so go for it about uh, 10 years or so, and at that point, my oldest sister had drifted from the Lord, and she was living with her husband in England. They had gotten assigned at an Air Force base there, and she had drifted from the Lord, but something worked in her heart, and God began to draw her back, and she's in England no family, hardly any friends. And so she goes to a church nearby. And she is welcomed by a lady in that church. And that lady walks with her as a prodigal daughter comes home and began to be her only Christian friend and then introduced her to a a church filled brothers and sisters where my sister could at least land in what was, although she was in a a tough marriage and although times were very difficult and she felt very lonely, at least at one place there were brothers and sisters who said she mattered. They were welcoming her in. If I go forward about a dozen years, it it certainly gets very personal to me because I had just graduated college and I began work on a graduate degree, had had moved to Chattanooga for a seminary. I knew one other person in Chattanooga, literally one other person. And I knew I needed to find a church. And so I started visiting church after church. And remember back then, this is going to date me, but there were yellow pages. And so I looked at yellow pages. Church had a very big ad. And so I thought, I guess I'll try there. And so I went to that church and it was a big ad, but it was also like a really big church. There were, you could tell a lot of people would go to church here. And yet I went on a Sunday night and there was hardly anybody there. 
And something, I mean, I grew up in church most of my life, so I thought, big church, not too many people. I think this may be my first and my last visit. I'm not sure what's going on here. I'm not sure it's okay if it's if some, something, maybe I, I'll just keep looking on until the end of the service when a person made a beeline to me. I think he was in his early 80s at the time. And he was definitely a talker. And, but what he communicated to me in talking and in listening and in talking and in listening was, you're welcome here. And although we probably were separated by six decades of age, this brother in Christ made sure I knew I was welcome there. And, and as I was kind of wrapping up the evening, he said, I'd love to have you come back next Sunday because I'd love to introduce you to this person and this person and this person because I know they would be glad to meet you. And so he opened up even his network of friends to me. And frankly, the fact that that man saw me and gave me an invitation, I would, I'm positive, just that you follow course of events, and I know God's sovereign over all this, but I follow the course of events of my life. I would not be here. I would not be here had it not been for his one invitation, him being persistent in having a conversation with a single guy who just moved to Chattanooga. And I say all that because I, I want you to understand that none of those churches are like famous churches, and none of the people I've talked about are famous people, but they did a few things well, and one of those was welcoming people. One of those was welcoming and kind of having an eye for people that are new, and that has shaped decades of, of life. That has shaped generations of a family. So we, we kind of think like, I'm going to church, or, or I, I'm part of a church, and we think like that, that's not that big of a deal, but do you know you may have an interaction one Sunday in this space, or you may have one interaction in your driveway that could change generations. I don't know that we fully understand and appreciate what God is doing, but each one of these churches welcomed in brothers and sisters who were new to the family, or prodigals coming home, or relocated and needing a church family. You can probably appreciate why this resonates with me so much. Why? I feel like Ogletown, we have to keep working and working and working on this. Why it's hard for me to accept being mediocre at this. Like, we can be mediocre at a lot of things, but like, Lord, help, not this, not this. Lord, help us not be just kind of satisfied. And, and you know what? I'm not convinced that what we need is a lot of strategies and programs and brand new tactics, because I'm not sure those things are going to change the heart. What changes the heart, like, what is going to deal with apathy when we just like frankly don't care because we're more interested about our own people and like what we're going to do and what we'll find at church. What's going to change that is not like a new program. What's going to change when we don't see someone sitting all by themselves without anybody interacting with them? What's going to change that? Is it a quick tactic? It might for a Sunday or two, but something's got to go deeper than that. What happens when we look at people and we say, different from me, and so I think I'm going to keep my distance. I don't know that we'd ever be compatible. What will change that? What will change when we like our own network, we like our friends we talk to before and after services, we like hanging out with them? And frankly, we don't care if anybody else gets into that network. What will change that? I think what will change it, I think what will do more for the heart than strategies and programs and tactics is when we stop and ask this question. What does Jesus think about those potentially coming into our church family? What does he think? How would he look at them? How would he welcome them? Would he welcome them? Would he receive them?
What would be his posture toward them? I think when we look at it through that lens, things will change. So we begin to revisit some of the categories, and we begin to even look in the New Testament for how people are welcomed into churches. I think about like relocated brothers and sisters, because actually the, the letters in the New Testament talk about people moving all around all the time. And Paul will say in Philippians 2, that Timothy and Epaphroditus are coming to you, church in Philippi. I want you to welcome them and receive them. So in Romans chapter 16 and verse 1, he says, Phoebe is a dear, a dear saint, loves the Lord. When she comes, I want you to welcome her. Make sure she gets a proper welcome in your church. 1 Corinthians 16, 10, when Timothy comes, will you put him at ease? Will you make him feel welcome? Colossians 4.10, when Mark comes, make sure you receive him. I mean, it's just again and again, and it reminds me we have a responsibility here from the Lord that when people come and are relocating to our area and God brings them to our church, we welcome them. When God brings people into the family, newly adopted brothers and sisters, when people have their lives changed by grace, when they're brought into the family, when we hear Jesus say, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over I mean, however many that are so righteous they don't need any repentance joy in heaven so what are we going to do when that person we say i think their life has been changed of course you're welcome of course we've got room at the family table for you of course we do what about the prodigal brothers and sisters that are returning home they've been away from the lord they're coming back all we have to do is think of the story of the prodigal son and remember the older brother who had no time for the prodigal coming home. And remember at the end of the story, actually the older brother who had stayed home is the one estranged from the father. He's the one that has the distant relationship with the father because he's not willing to welcome someone home. Or I think even of the people I think of the people that Jesus had time for, whether it be Nicodemus or the woman at the well or Matthew or Zacchaeus, and Jesus had to live with this indictment in Luke 15 too. He, he welcomes sinners. He even eats with them. And Jesus was very willing to live with that indictment because he loved people like you and me. He's very willing to spend his time. This is what we have from Jesus, from Scripture, and when we internalize this, it shapes us. So how do we, as a church, go about, so Rob and Donna gave us this image. I, I, I want to use this image, like, how do we go about putting out the welcome mat? And I don't mean just like physically outside the doors here. I mean kind of with, with our life and with our love and with our energy. How do we lay out that welcoming mat? I think that's going to mean we have this intentional eye that notices things. We're an intentional noticer, and I don't think that's a word, I think it's a great concept. We begin to notice people who are maybe by themselves or who are new or who, who don't seem to have a connection, and we move toward those people. On site, that means minutes before and after gatherings are crucial. We walk in differently because we notice. It means there are conversations and thoughtful questions. It means we communicate as genuinely as possible. You just might belong here. We, we would love to have you means you get names and you get numbers, not because you're in some sort of marketing scheme. You, you introduce people into a network so that they're not just, they don't just know one individual, but they actually 
get to know several, and those several people get to know them and are looking out for them next time. These are the kinds of things that the church that welcomes people in, this is what we would do. We would take time to get to know each other. There'd be intentional, thoughtful invitations. And so when someone joins our group, we can all just assume there are no accidents. God doesn't do random. He brought people here for a reason. When they move into our neighborhoods, when they move into our developments, we can know God brought them across our paths for a reason. Because they matter to God, it warrants, it warrants a connected conversation. We may not be able to engage with hundreds or thousands, but surely, is there a person each day that God's going to put across your path that you could have some sort of conversation with? Is there a person that you're going to have a conversation with to get to know? Our eyes can be open to people in front of us. And I have to say, even in this pandemic, I mean, God has sent us people as we've regathered as a church or people watching online. We've met new people. We've had the opportunity even the last few weeks to welcome people. And a, a big part of me wants to apologize because I feel like this is so different than it's been for 13 years since I've been here. And welcoming people seems so, so challenging right now. It feels like, in some ways, if, if you can follow, it feels like we're having company over and our living room and our kitchen have all been gutted. And it's like, well, we're sorry, but this is what we got right now. It's like, well, I'd invite you to have a seat, but we have no, we have no furniture. And I'd invite you, I, I'd love to have, serve you food, but we don't have any food because our kitchen's... I mean, that's what it feels like as a church right now. And I can't change any of that. But I am saying I am so honored that you're here. And, and I think I can speak on behalf of a church family that's ready to walk with people that God is bringing across our paths. And I would say, Ogletown, this may be some of the toughest time we've ever had to welcome well. We want to do that right. We want to do it well. And in the past, I feel like we've had different things. We've, we've kind of fine-tuned. But now we find like distance and obstacles we didn't have six months ago. We don't have dozens of programs to offer. Most, seem, most things these days seem harder, sometimes a lot harder, always a little bit harder. But, but this is my thought, and this is where I just had to settle as I wrestle with this with the Lord. It's like, I really want to welcome people in, and this seems like the worst possible time to try to do that. But this is what I thought. If if we can figure out and work hard at welcoming people now, it's almost like when you're working out and you deal with lots of resistance with weights, you begin to push against that resistance and push against that resistance, and you get stronger and stronger and stronger. I do wonder, will that service when restrictions begin lifted and it becomes a little bit easier? Will we have worked hard in this time? And so when it gets easier, we'll, we'll, know, we'll know how to do it. We'll be stronger as a church, even as we sense our own weakness. We have a family that loves, and again, we're thinking outward face. So we care for each other, sure, but we also want to welcome people in. But there's one kind of dimension of this outward face, one more I want to remind us, and that is we have an outward face of not just welcoming people in, but sending people out as well. I mean, that should be our goal. We care deeply for those who don't yet have a family. And I guess if we get this wrong, we would just build a little empire here, and we'd be glad for everybody that's kind of here, but we wouldn't think about those that, are, that have not experienced the kind of family love that God has in mind. The church at its best provides a security and warmth and fellowship, and that can lead to like, oh man, I love that this place, all my needs are taken care of, but then do we realize there are millions of people who have not yet experienced that? It, it would grieve me if lockdown and quarantine 
would mean we loosened our grip on the missionary heart of God. I know it's harder, but he is still not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I know it's harder, but he loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son, that those who believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were sinners, Jesus died for us. This is the heart of God. And we know, we know there are pockets of people that may have never heard that message and they may never come to us. So we export the family love. We know that if the Lord Jesus had compassions on the multitude, then as 2 Corinthians 5 says, his love compels us to love others. If part of maintaining an outward face as a family is to make sure we got the welcome mat, then I think another part of kind of measuring where are we on this is taking a look at our export log. The log of who we send out. The log of the values that we have that we export to other places around our area, around the country, around the world. Every day, short term, long term, Jesus said we're we're witnesses, we're to go make disciples. Jesus is ministering in towns and things are going really well. And he says, I got to go to the next towns because I came out for that purpose. Jesus said, there's a harvest field and it's ready. It's ready. So pray that God sends laborers to that harvest. Paul goes around the Mediterranean and, and he says in Romans 15, like my ambition is to preach Jesus where nobody's heard of Jesus. That's why even 1 Thessalonians, we read at the beginning, is just so powerful to me because it's yet another church that is sounding out the message. They're sending people out. Ephesians 6 and Colossians 4, there's prayer for the mission. So yeah, we have a welcome mat, but this is like the export log. We're sending, we're praying, we're supporting, we're commissioning. It's a complicated time to do this at all, much less do this well, but we don't shake. This is what we're called to do. I think this means that each of us has a personal assignment in it. We have responsibility. And it also means collectively we pool resources. We pool resources. And we put our prayers and our energy into people that are going to places where the love of Christ and the name of Jesus are needed, where, where that's needed desperately. So that's why we would get behind Kyle and Liz and Emily and Sean and their work through Young Life because we know there are schools where kids desperately need to be included in a family that loves Jesus. That's why James and Vanessa, who minister through Urban Promise, why we are 100% behind them, because we love their work, bringing Christ's love to another place. I mean, we, we want to export the relationships we have. We want to see that extended further. That's why Nathan and Jamie, Allie and Charlie, that's why their ministry at University of Delaware matters so much to us, because we know there's a campus there, and there are, there are students there that desperately need Jesus Christ, and that's why we pull resources together and we send Barnabas and Lael to East Asia because we believe in good news being exported, where the name of Jesus being shared, where there are very few, if any, disciples of Jesus. That's why we walk with Joe and Elizabeth as they're walking through the process of going out in internationally, and we would be behind them. That's why Jim, who leads a ministry that reaches out to uh, our Jewish friends, we'd say, we are, we are with you. We want the gospel known. We want the name of Jesus. That's why 
next summer, I hope there are missionaries. We, we couldn't send them out this summer, but I've prayed already like, Lord, let us send out summer missionaries. Let us send people out into this world that needs you. Nobody that I've named would consider themselves heroes. But, but they take this message seriously. It's so easy in this time to be absorbed in like a little small world where we have minor inconvenience or major inconvenience, one after another after another. Oh, this, oh, this, oh, that went bad. Oh, that's not going well. Oh, that's going to change. And we get so absorbed. And so what I recognize, though, if we look at who God says we are, we are a family called to love, and that means we're going to have to look out for each other and care for each other. It means we're going to have to make room at the family table for whoever God sends. They are going to be welcomed here. And it means we're never going to forget that there are those around our area and around the world who need Jesus. We're going to export what God has done among us. For all of that, we need his help. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your help in doing what seems to be almost impossible. And in our flesh, we, we don't necessarily want to welcome people into our lives, and we don't want to make ourselves uncomfortable. But I, I pray that even now you will be calling people out, sending people out. I pray that you would be doing a deep work in our hearts so that we would find ways to welcome people in. Father, you know exactly this is the season. This is the season we needed to hear this message. So Lord, where we have excuses, I pray that you would just dismantle those. And where we are shrugging our shoulders saying, Lord, we don't know how, I pray that you would point us to people. Point us to people who need you. Continue to work in our church family. We ask for your grace in this. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.